Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of sideroblastic anemia found under the heme section at metabolits.com. Let's begin with the clinical snapshot. A 69-year-old man is brought to the emergency department by police after being found stumbling in the middle of the street at night. He smells strongly of whiskey and is found to have blood alcohol content level of 0.23%. Laboratory studies are ordered, and the patient is found to have a hemoglobin of 7 grams per deciliter and a hematocrit of 21%. Iron studies show an increase in free iron levels. A peripheral blood smear is obtained and demonstrates basophilic stippling. Let's continue with an introduction to sideroblastic anemia. As a general overview, remember that sideroblastic anemias are a group of inherited and acquired anemias in which iron accumulates in the mitochondria of erythrocyte precursors. And there will be ring sideroblasts, which are iron-laden erythrocytes with Prussian blue stain mitochondria, which may be seen on bone marrow aspirate. And in terms of genetics, the inheritance pattern will be X-linked for inherited sideroblastic anemia, and specific mutations will occur in the ALAS2 gene, which encodes for ALA synthase. And in terms of epidemiology, remember that this disease is rare. However, demographically, the X-linked recessive type of inherited sideroblastic anemia occurs more commonly in males, and the median age of occurrence of primary acquired sideroblastic anemia is 74 years. And risk factors for sideroblastic anemia include alcoholism, vitamin B6 deficiency, lead poisoning, and copper deficiency. And in terms of the pathophysiology, remember that mitochondrial pathways in erythrocyte precursors are disrupted, which leads to accumulation of iron in the mitochondria. There will be excessive iron deposits in erythroblasts, which form a ring around the nucleus, making a ring sideroblast. And then heme synthesis is impaired, which leads to decreased heme production and abnormal RBCs. In X-linked sideroblastic anemia, there will be a mutation in the ALAS2 gene, which encodes ALA synthase. Remember that this is the first enzyme of the heme synthesis pathway. Also remember that vitamin B6, or pyridoxine, is a necessary cofactor for ALA synthase. In patients taking isoniazid, there will be disruption of the conversion of vitamin B6 to its active cofactor. In patients with chronic alcohol use, they will have impaired vitamin B6 metabolism and the toxic effects on mitochondrial protein synthesis. And in patients with lead poisoning, there will be an inhibition of several enzymes involved in heme synthesis. This will include ALA dehydratase and ferrochelatase. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms will include general symptoms of anemia, such as fatigue, weakness, and dyspnea on exertion, as well as lack of coordination with cerebellar symptoms and diarrhea. And on exam, one may note a growth delay in children, ataxia, decreased deep tendon reflexes, incoordination, dyspnea, and muscle weakness. In terms of other studies, serum labs may demonstrate an increase in serum iron and ferritin, a decrease in TIBC, and a decrease or normal MCV. And on histology, a peripheral blood smear may demonstrate hypochromic RBCs as well as Pepinheimer bodies in the RBCs, which are abnormal basophilic granules of iron, as well as a low reticulocyte count. And a bone marrow stained with Prussian blue may demonstrate ring sideroblasts, which is the diagnostic hallmark of all sideroblastic anemias. And with regards to the differential, make sure to think about iron deficiency anemia, with a key distinguishing factor being that there will be a decrease in serum iron and ferritin. Also think about megaloblastic anemia, with key distinguishing factors being that megaloblastic changes 
will be seen on peripheral blood smear and bone marrow rather than ring sideroblasts. And in terms of treatment, medical options include pyridoxine or vitamin B6 supplementation. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that this is highly variable and depends on the cause. Remember that anemia due to reversible causes such as from alcohol or drugs does not have long-term sequelae. And also remember that secondary hemochromatosis from transfusions and leukemia are major causes of death. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to sideroblastic anemia, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 55-year-old African-American man presents to his primary care physician for fatigue. He has been feeling progressively tired over the course of six months. He sleeps approximately 10 hours a day and at times experiences shortness of breath with exertion. His diet consists of meats and vegetables, and he lives in an apartment complex constructed in 1979. He has a medical history of hypertension and hyperlipidemia. His mother suffered from anemia and uterine fibroids. Physical exam is notable for mild conjunctival pallor and delayed capillary refill. He has bilateral palmar erythema and normal proprioception and vibration sensation. Laboratory studies demonstrate a hemoglobin of 11.5, hematocrit of 35%, mean corpuscular volume of 105, leukocyte count of 4,000 with a normal differential, and a platelet count of 200,000. A peripheral blood smear demonstrates basophilic stippling. Which of the following is the most likely cause of this patient's symptoms? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Alcohol use disorder. Choice 2. Anemia of chronic inflammation. Choice 3. Beta thalassemia minor. Choice 4. Lead poisoning. Or choice 5. Pernicious anemia. The best answer to this question is Choice 1. Alcohol use disorder. This patient is presenting with fatigue, macrocytic anemia, leukopenia, palmar erythema, which is suggestive of liver disease, and basophilic stippling on the peripheral blood smear. This constellation of findings is seen in alcohol use disorder. There are a number of hematologic complications associated with alcohol use. These hematologic complications include macrocytic anemia, leukopenia, and or thrombocytopenia. Alcohol appears to have toxic effects on hematopoietic cells, altering the membrane phospholipid of these cells, and interfering with folate utilization, which impairs DNA synthesis. Excessive alcohol use can result in sideroblastic anemia, where there are sideroblasts in the bone marrow and basophilic stippling in the peripheral blood. Alcohol use disorder can eventually lead to vitamin B12 and folate deficiency. However, patients are more likely to develop folate deficiency due to alcohol's effect on folate mobilization. Other findings on peripheral blood smear include hypersegmented neutrophils, anisocytosis, and poikilocytosis. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Anemia of chronic inflammation, previously known as anemia of chronic disease, results in normocytic anemia and is associated with chronic illnesses, such as rheumatoid arthritis. This is believed to result from alterations in hepcidin's effect on iron metabolism, which decreases iron absorption in the gastrointestinal tract and iron trapping within macrophages. Choice 3. Beta thalassemia minor results in microcytic anemia and is caused by the underproduction of beta globin. These patients are usually asymptomatic. Choice 4. Lead poisoning results in microcytic anemia and also presents with basophilic stippling on the peripheral blood smear. Patients can be exposed to lead in the workplace, 
such as when working with batteries and welding. They can be exposed through paint. Remember that lead content in paint was unregulated in the United States until 1977 and banned in 1978. Patients can also be exposed when working with bullets, such as if they are working in firing ranges. Choice 5. Pernicious anemia results from autoimmune antibodies against intrinsic factor and or gastric parietal cells. Patients would present with macrocytic anemia and mild neutropenia, cognitive slowing, peripheral neuropathy, and symptoms of anemia, such as fatigue and shortness of breath. However, this patient has no history of autoimmune disorders and is unlikely to develop pernicious anemia at his age. He does, however, have stigmata of liver disease with palmar erythema. Finally, a bullet summary. Excessive alcohol use can result in sideroblastic anemia with basophilic stippling of red blood cells on a peripheral blood smear. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 42-year-old man presents to his primary care physician complaining of subjective fever, cough, and night sweats. He states that over the past two months, he has not felt like himself. He has lost 12 pounds over this time period. Two weeks ago, he started experiencing night sweats and cough. This morning, he decided to take his temperature and reports that it was high. He has a history of HIV and admits to inconsistently taking his antiretrovirals. A chest radiograph reveals a cavitary lesion in the left upper lobe. An interferon gamma release assay is positive, and the patient is started on appropriate antimicrobial therapy. A month later, he is seen in clinic for follow-up. Lab work is obtained and demonstrates a leukocyte count of 11,000 with a normal differential, hemoglobin of 9.2, platelet count of 400,000, and an MCV of 75. Based on these results, a peripheral smear is sent and shows Pappenheimer bodies. Which of the following is the most accurate test for the patient's diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Genetic testing Choice 2. Hemoglobin electrophoresis Choice 3. Iron studies Choice 4. Methylmalonic acid level Or Choice 5. Prussian blue staining The best answer to this question is Choice 5. Prussian blue staining the patient is presenting with anemia in a peripheral smear with Pappenheimer bodies following initiation of therapy for tuberculosis, which includes isoniacid. This is suspicious for sideroblastic anemia, for which the most accurate test is Prussian blue staining of the bone marrow. Sideroblastic anemia is a group of anemias caused by a defect in erythropoiesis due to a disorder in the porphyrin pathway. Iron is able to enter the mitochondria, but it cannot be incorporated into heme. Causes range from chronic alcoholism B6 deficiency, such as is caused by isoniacid, a genetic mutation in amino levolonic acid synthase, or ALA synthase, some cytotoxic agents, and lead exposure. Labs will show a microcytic anemia, increased serum iron, increased ferritin, and decreased total iron binding capacity. Peripheral smear may show Pappenheimer bodies that can be seen with right Giamza or Prussian blue staining. The most accurate test is Prussian blue staining of the bone marrow, to look for ring sideroblasts. The ring sideroblasts represent iron-laden mitochondria that stain blue. Management is with vitamin B6 or pyridoxine supplementation. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Genetic testing may identify a mutation in ALA synthetase, but this is only one cause of sideroblastic anemia. The most likely cause of this patient's sideroblastic anemia is isoniacid toxicity. The most accurate test for sideroblastic anemia itself is Prussian blue staining. Choice 2. 
Hemoglobin electrophoresis is indicated for other causes of anemia, such as thalassemias. While thalassemia can cause a microcytic anemia, it would not explain the patient's peripheral smear findings. Choice 3. Iron studies in sideroblastic anemia would have the abnormalities as described above, but these are not specific for sideroblastic anemia. Choice 4. Methylmalonic acid level is helpful to distinguish between folate and vitamin B12 deficiency. Both of these would cause a megaloblastic anemia. Finally, a bullet summary. Prussian blue staining for ring sideroblasts is the most accurate test for sideroblastic anemia. That's all for this review about sideroblastic anemia. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.